Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me that'll help you save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, coming up later in today's Clark Rageous Moment, you ever heard of vomit fraud? Yuck. Wait till you hear what it is and how to protect yourself from it. And later, speaking of protecting, the brave men and women of the United States military who put their lives on the line over and over again to protect our freedoms now have a bullseye target on them from Washington, a new decision in D.C. that leaves military personnel unprotected from fraudsters and cheats and banks that don't follow the laws concerning military personnel. I'll fill you in on all that later. So I want to talk right now about something that is a trend that has emerged in much of the country, and it is something that shows that home buyers are on a semi-strike that the people in the marketplace who are interested in buying a home, at least immediately, is declining. The amount of time that homes are staying on the market is rising overall nationally. You know, real estate has real local elements to it, and always has, where even when some places in the United States are doing one thing, others are doing something else. So I'm giving you the sense of a general national trend that housing affordability or lack of affordability for first-time homebuyers got so out of whack that a lot of people are saying, I'm just going to have to wait, which is so ironic because recently on the show I talked about the advantage of sitting things out for a while, and it turns out that I didn't have any brilliant idea. People were already doing that, and the stats show the turn occurring back, it looks like, in February or March nationally that things started changing, and people were like, well, this doesn't make any sense for our finances. And so it has, in many places, made sense for people to put off buying a first home and renting instead. Supply of rental properties has increased so much in in so many places around the country that uh, there's ample supply in a lot of places for renting, except at the lowest end of the rental market. And the housing market ultimately responds to classic supply and demand. And if you are a first-time home buyer and you've been frustrated these trends uh, appear slowly, only um, uh, not always obvious, even to people in the industry, that there is this shift. But time is now on your side in much of the country as a buyer if you just watch and wait. It's almost like when I talk about when you're looking for an airline ticket to shop the price and set up a fare alert to let you know when prices have dropped for that market. With housing, if you become obsessive with Zillow or any of those apps, you'll be able to see, you don't care so much about a trend, you want one house, right? 
And you'll be able to see when a seller says, I give up, I got to cut the price of this house. And that is what starts to happen when buyers go essentially on strike. And so know that the marketplace is becoming from very unfriendly to more neutral for first-time home buyers, and we'll see if it goes past more neutral. The smartest time to look at buying a house tends to be a house that's been on the market for a number of months, remains on the market through the Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's holiday period. When you get to that time of year, anything that's still on the market that a seller is at that point stuck with, they're more negotiable and more amenable to maybe cutting their listing price, to maybe negotiating a more favorable price for you as a buyer. Let the clock, in this case, work to your advantage. Julie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Julie. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Julie. You got a question for me about seeing your credit score whenever you want all the time. Yes, it was on a um, credit card, like a dashboard when you log in, and it's in the, um, the company's my credit score, um, but it was credit reports every month. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. So I wanted to ask you. What... So are you worried that it hurts you if you see your credit score every month? No, not at all. I just, I had heard or, you know, was under the assumption that the more times you have your credit pulled, you know, your report pulled, that your score could actually take a ding. And you are right if it's, uh, if it's initiated by you as a consumer for an application for credit, what's known as a hard inquiry. But okay. in, any credit card that we have, the credit card company checks our credit score constantly, at least once a month. And so they're okay. paying the credit bureaus to check your credit because what they want to know is... Ooh, do you see what happened with Julie here? She did blah, blah, blah. And if they don't like what you did, they might immediately shut off your card with them or cut the limit you have available or whatever. Or they may see trends with your score and may offer you uh, something out of the blue where they say, would you like a higher credit limit with us? Oh, okay. So, the, so, so they're, they're pulling my credit reports anyway. Is that right, what you're saying? Right. Oh, okay. So discover was the first one who thought of this discover was like hey we're paying trade line price which is a very cheap price per person to pull your score every month we're pulling these mm -hmm. trade lines why don't we turn this into a benefit for our card members and that's when they started this whole thing rolling of making your credit score available to you either monthly or whenever you wanted to see it by signing in and then it kind of spread like wildfire through the credit card industry and that's why you have access to your credit score every month from so many different places now oh okay and does so no harm to thing. you it's only to your benefit oh okay well good well then that answers my question well have a great day and i'm glad you asked because a lot of people worry and wonder when does seeing your credit report or score when does it actually hurt you 
and when not. And the reality is only if you initiate an application for a new form of credit, that's when pulling your credit is really going to hurt you. Any other time, the information should only help you. Zeb is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Zeb. Hey, how are you, Clark? Great, thank you, Zeb. You got a question for me about your car loan, huh? Uh, yeah, I took a, a car loan about two years ago. Um, and pretty, not super high interest rate, but pretty high. And I was looking to maybe refinance it. And I was going to see what you thought about that. So the biggest players in refinancing existing car loans are credit unions and USAA. That the credit unions uh, in the mailers we get with monthly statements are always pitching the offers they have to refi uh, car loans because 80% of people finance cars at the car dealer. And the reality is those rates retail usually quite a bit higher than what car loan rates would be with a credit union. And like with my credit union, if you had a good credit score, they'll take a a car dealer-issued loan out and issue you a new one at 2.5%. And somewhere in that range is what you'll see from a lot of credit unions for people who've got a good credit score. How long a loan did you take out? Five years. All right, so with a five-year loan, two years in, you said? Yes. So you're upside down right now on that loan because the car drops in value quicker than the balance on the loan drops. So you may find to do a refi, you'd have to bring some cash to the table to the credit union. But if if you can afford to do that, all you do is save money going forward and what you do with the credit union is do a three-year loan to refi that existing five-year loan so you're not going to be in debt any longer than you would have been for the remaining balance. Well, my, my goal is to pay it off in two years, so I, I was looking at that. Would it, would it be better just to stay where I'm at and just do extra payments to pay it off in two years or refinance a two-year loan? No, I love that. If you went to, you know, they don't charge you any fees of any note to refi a car loan if you are you a member of a credit union yet uh, i am not so you can join a credit union in your area see right on their website you can see what they're offering on loans and a lot of credit unions if you do only a two-year car loan will offer you an extremely good rate just for bringing your loan term down to 24 months because they know when people come to borrow money from a credit union for loan terms shorter than the typical borrower, the default rate on the loans drops to almost zero. So they know that, it, that their risk level is almost non-existent. Okay. So I like that idea. If you're in a position that you'd like to make the money work to pay it off in two years, you're cutting a year off that loan. You cut the interest rate from your high rate that you got. And did you finance originally a bank or at the dealer? Um, it was at the dealer, but it was through a bank. Well, yeah. I mean, the dealer originated loans are the money comes from a bank. But when you do it at the dealer, the dealer can add a markup to the loan. So let's say the bank wholesales them 
the money at whatever percent, the dealer can then mark it up as much as they want. And so that's why they're, it's a convenience charge because they're doing the work for you. You do the work yourself, you're going to save money. You do what you're thinking of now, refining this, it will save you money. Jim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jim. Well, hello. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Jim. You got a question for me about uh, doing the online banking on your phone, and you have an interesting question to ask. Go right ahead about security. Yeah. I, I was uh, checking my uh, bank account at work, and I was using the work Wi-Fi. And I know I'm not supposed to do that because somebody could capture my password. But then I realized I use my thumbprint as my password. And I was wondering, could you do that on a uh, shared Wi-Fi? Is that secure? So uh, let's look at that as a priority of, of risk levels or protocol risk levels. Obviously, being on Wi-Fi at your home is the safest environment. Being on Wi-Fi at work generally should be virtually as safe as being on Wi-Fi at home. Your Wi-Fi at work is password protected, is it not? It is. So it's not a public Wi-Fi network. I wouldn't have a problem with you signing in on your app, even doing a username and password. But uh, using the fingerprint's great, but it still would make me nervous anytime you're at any public Wi-Fi, like a restaurant or anything like that, coffee shop, signing into your banking over Wi-Fi instead of using the cellular connection on your phone, I just don't want you to put yourself at any level of risk at any public Wi-Fi. The fingerprint's better, but to have full peace of mind, just don't use public Wi-Fi for any banking. Today's Clark Regis moment is one of the most odd things I've ever talked about in a Clark Regis moment. It's called vomit fraud. Excuse the term. If you talk to Uber and Lyft drivers who will drive during party scene hours, particularly on weekend nights, but could be any night after midnight, a lot of times people will have imbibed too much and they get sick in the Uber driver or Lyft driver's car. And Uber and Lyft, in order to get drivers to go out in the wee hours, particularly in the party scene areas, is they give them an automatic $150 simply by the driver reporting somebody got sick in the vehicle, they send a picture of it, and that's it. Well, there's no verification. The customer just finds a $150 bill on their credit card when they wake up the next afternoon from whatever. But now there's a problem that we've had People call us about, and we can't verify necessarily what they're saying, but now a newspaper has done just that in North Dakota where they've investigated cases where Uber or Lyft drivers are uh, falsely accusing someone. In fact, one driver was proven to have gone to a convenience store, bought food items, put them on the, the car, made it look like it was, uh, well, vomit, and then put in the thing and the rider got billed that money and all that. And then Uber and Lyft don't pay any attention to you disputing that it ever happened. And I know this is weird, but if you are someone out partying at night, if you're sober enough 
when you're getting out of the Uber or Lyft, just very quickly take a picture of the back seat of the vehicle to show that it was clean and fine when you got out. Because this is something that is a real problem. I mean, it's terrible for the drivers when somebody does get sick in their vehicle. It may take them off the road for a number of hours. They're not generating income. They've got to pay somebody to clean up the car. And that really does happen. But when drivers do it as just a way to score $150, that is rotten terrible. And so you as a passenger, when you do ride in one on the weekend or late at night, just take that quick snap with your phone. That's what they're using to say you made a mess. You take one to prove you didn't. Pretty simple. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you make. You'll hear me when someone who is in the military is on the air. I'll thank him or her for his or her service. And it's something that I say because I'm so grateful in an all-volunteer military that we have these brave patriotic men and women who don't have to but choose to serve our nation and in war and in peace and in between these brave men and women are called upon to put their lives on the line over and over again their lives disrupted families separated uh, while someone's overseas I have a friend whose son recently is on his fourth deployment to Afghanistan. Now, the rest of us just keep on going on with our lives. But in an all-volunteer military, where instead of the, the duty being shared across, widely across the U.S. population, we have a small number of people who go again and again and again and again. And I, I, for one, I know this is crazy to a lot of people, but I feel that all of us, when we reach the age eligible for military service, should serve a couple of years. And that protecting our nation's freedom should be shared among all of us. But that's not where we are right now as a country and a culture. And so this very small sliver of the American people who do sign up to service, do it over and over. But there are certain things that are supposed to be privileges that come with serving in the military. One of them is that any borrowing a military person does, particularly if they need an emergency loan or whatever, cannot be issued at more than 36%. But over and over again, military personnel are cheated and put in payday loans and things like that that are illegal to issue to a member of the military at hundreds of percent interest. If somebody's deployed any loan they have, the interest rate based on a schedule under the Service Member Civil Relief Act is supposed to be capped and potentially reduced. Someone's not supposed to have something repossessed or foreclosed while they're in a foreign duty on deployment foreign theater of war, foreign duty. But these things are violated all the time, and there's a federal agency that's the cop on the beat to try to protect 
our military personnel. And it's called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that their spokesperson has just announced that they are no longer going to protect military personnel from predatory lenders or abuses by traditional lenders that either out of incompetence or design fail to follow the law. This is an outrage. And I am incensed beyond measure that so casually and carelessly and thoughtlessly and heartlessly the federal agency whose responsibility it is to make sure that military personnel who are willing to to commit to the ultimate sacrifice for your and my freedom, the loss of their lives to protect our nation, that these people are being dissed and the laws to protect them are no longer going to be enforced. This is inexcusable and unacceptable. And I want you to know that because no cop is going to be on the beat anymore, if you have a young family member or friend who serves in the military, make sure they know they have rights, especially a good list of rights if they're deployed, and that people are not supposed to take advantage of them, period. But you have, now are going to have to stand up for yourself. Many times enlisted personnel, very young, not good with money, are the ones most preyed upon by the locusts that would take advantage of them and their families. So please make sure they're aware of this. And shame, 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 shame on the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau who's spitting on these brave men and women, these patriots that serve us in the U.S. military. I got to calm down now. Lisa's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call. Certainly, Lisa. Let's lighten the mood. What's going on? Okay. Well, I want to thank you for all that you do. I found your podcast about a year ago after um, reading your book, Living Large and Lean Times, that I checked out at the library. So um, That's the right price. You paid nothing. <laughs> So, and I've just implemented so many things that you've suggested in the past year or so from uh, Credit Karma account to the um, credit freeze and opening an online savings account and rotating the back of the wallet credit card and all those great things and um, actually have a tip related to that, but I don't know if there's time for that. So Go maybe. right ahead. Let's hear the tip. Oh, okay. So um, we had a back of the wallet card, which was actually one of your favorites. I won't say the name of it, but one of your favorites and, um, and weren't using it much. And, uh, simultaneously we have had so many, um, over the years, uh, incidences of fraudulent activity on our credit cards because we use our credit card for almost everything to try to get the points. And so every time that happens, you have to, you know, stop all of your automatic payments that you have linked up to your credit card and get your new number and inform them all over again of your new credit card, just a real pain. And so what we started doing was we took our back of the wallet credit card, which was one of your favorites. We used that card exclusively for all of our online or our automatic bill pay. We don't wait, wait, for- wait, wait. That is a brilliant idea. Yeah. So 
thank you. So that you makes you automatically a member of Team Clark. That is <laughs> awesome because that is so smart because uh, our producer, Kim, was just mentioning earlier today before the show what a hassle it is when your credit card number is compromised mm-hmm. and you have to change the card number you're using for automatics. Right. And you have the perfect answer. Oh, good. Well, thank you. (laughs) And by the way, I'm dying with curiosity. What is this card that's one of my favorites? It's the Fidelity Visa. Ah, 2% cash back on everything. Yes. (laughs) That's why it's one of my favorites, because 2% is like the gold standard for any (laughs) reward card is when you're getting effectively back in value, or in this case, cash, Mm -hmm. two cents of every dollar you charge. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes into our Fidelity account, and yeah, it's great. That's great. Well, uh, and you also have a question for me, don't you? I do, thank you. So we have been considering purchasing solar for our home, um, which is quite expensive. Um, And at the same time, though, we've also been working to try to pay down or pay off our home loan as soon as we can. And so with the value that solar adds to your home and the savings that it adds, I was curious to get your take on um, kind of weighing, you know, putting available funds out towards solar versus taking available funds that we have and putting towards our mortgage. Well, I mean, this is an unfair question for me because (laughs) I'm so biased towards solar Mm -hmm. that asking me this question, I'm going to come up with every reason why you should do solar. I'll I'll give you one in particular. Since you live in California, you have some of the nation's highest electricity rates. Mm-hmm. And so the and you've got so much sunshine that solar, the economics of it are so very favorable to you mm-hmm. putting it in. And you will probably reduce your power bill enough that you'll really be happy with the return on investment you'll have. Plus right now, at least for now, there's a 30% federal tax credit that you're able to take for the cost of the system. How much is the system you are expecting to have to buy? So, good question. We actually had uh, someone come out and give us a quote last night. It's quite a bit more than we anticipated. It's upwards of uh, around 40000 Are you in a giant house? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it's not giant, but... Um, it would take a number of panels and... Yeah, um, get more quotes because yes, you'd have to be in a really, really, really big house yeah, no. with the decline in the cost of panels that has occurred. I mean, the cost of solar panels is one-sixth of what it was eight years ago. Yeah. So we'll definitely get some more quotes. But my thought is that, um, you know, if we want to not go into debt in order to accomplish this, um, you know, solar installation... Um, we either need to wait quite a while or the other thought would be to um, defer some of our um, retirement withholdings for a little while, which is not my favorite either. But um, Wow, you're making these choices so miserable for me. Well, Why don't you get some more quotes, see if you can get that price down to a much more reasonable figure, mm-hmm. and then maybe the economic choices aren't so stark for you. Okay. But at 40... Uh, you're talking about even though you'd get back, uh, what'd you get? You get uh, 12000 back in tax credits. 
Mm-hmm. You're still net 28000 That's a lot of money. It would take a good while to make back 28000 So I would, I would not rush to do that, even as much as I love solar and love not having to buy power from the power company. In fact, I have my own power company. It's called The Sun. Michael is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michael. Hello, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. How can I serve I have, you, Michael? Uh, I have. Uh, I do a lot of international travel, um, and uh, every time I go somewhere else, I'm always taking a SIM card out. You know, putting a new one in. I was wondering if there's any uh, pocket Wi-Fi's that are affordable and easy, where you don't have to take SIM cards out all the time. So there are pocket Wi-Fi's that are really geared towards world travelers traveling in very remote third world countries. And there's one that's logo is orange. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's not, it's not the cell phone carrier in Europe called orange, but there's one that has this orange disc that you take and you oh, pay I, a daily yeah. fee for doing internet access, but it's much more expensive effectively than doing what you're doing right now, buying a SIM when you get somewhere. But how many right. days a year are you out of the United States, would you guess? Oh, I'm guessing maybe three, four months. Okay, then have you considered switching to T-Mobile? Um, I thought about it. Because, um, you know, I've, I can tell you it's changed international travel for me, and I'm even on the premium thing because of how much I travel overseas called right. OnePlus, where I right. get um, decently... Uh, decently fast internet access that's unlimited and I got unlimited free texting and then you can pay for calling at 25 cents a minute but what I do is I use the calling apps like WhatsApp and Viber and Line and there's one other I have as well and so I'm able to you know you look and so many people you know are on one of these you don't even realize and so I'm able to do uh, calling for free from overseas. Right. So right. if you do travel that much, it would be great for you to look at the T-Mobile One Plus. Because then okay. you keep the I'll... same number and you you don't have to search for a SIM. You don't have to search for any of that. You have the internet access. You can go on regular T-Mobile One, but the internet is so slow that you feel like you're back in 1999 when you're outside the country. <laughs> Okay. Also, um, T-Mobile, they have uh, GoGo Wi-Fi on certain Yes, on, on a lot of the airlines that use GoGo Internet, if you go on OnePlus, you get unlimited free Wi-Fi on the airplanes. All right, great. All right, I'll check into that. All right, and, uh, and I'm so jealous you get to spend so much time outside the country because, you know, I love travel. If I could... I would live out of a suitcase like my brother, who actually has no home now, he and his wife, just travel the world in the U.S. Ellen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ellen. How you doing? I'm doing great, Clark. How are you? Good. Ellen, how can I serve you today? Well, I recently, um, finally, got my Tesla Model 3, and um, when they asked me to uh, design it, I talked to my brother-in-law, and he said, don't get the autopilot yet because of all these software changes. So then two weeks later, they said, my Tesla's in. So I got it, 
And I asked them at the dealership, should I get the autopilot now? And they said, yeah, you could just have it at any time. Um, But then I read about these accidents with Teslas and BMWs and other um, autopilot. And I'm just not sure whether there's an advantage to getting the autopilot now uh, or wait for updates or um, should I get it? Well, I'd say the reason to get it is if you do a lot of over-the-road long car trips on freeways, that it really reduces fatigue. I've had a Tesla with autopilot for three and a half years now, and I would say that I've got roughly 40,000 miles on my Tesla, and I've got over 30,000 autopilot miles where it just does the driving. And it's much safer. It drives much better than I do, but it's not perfect. Uh, the one in the Model 3 is a more advanced autopilot than I have. But if you just are running around town and that's most of what you're going to do, you have to pay like, was it five or 6000 to bring the software unlock? Yeah, 6000 Yeah, so unless you are planning to do constant uh, and a lot, of long-distance driving in it, I'd save the money for now. And at some point, it will reach what's known as level five, which is fully autonomous driving. And for local, that would be really great. But I don't know that that I would spend the money on the autopilot unless you normally, routinely, as part of the way you live your life, you do long road trips. Well, I do, but not in this car because... Um it doesn't fit as much as in my uh, my enclave. And so okay. when I go on trips, I want to pack a little bit more than I could put in the in the Tesla. So I would say in your case, don't spend the money. Keep the money in your sense. pocket. You'll have plenty of time later at any point that you decide you really want the autopilot. You'll be able to uh, just pay them for the software unlock and you pay them and then 10 seconds later, it's working. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center and you can get that free off-the-air advice.